morning. It's good to see all of you. Thank you for coming and joining us here for worship here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church this morning. It's exciting to see all of you here. And I want to just say, just as Pastor Ted did earlier, I hope that you have been warmly greeted by others uh, today. But I also, more importantly, hope that you have experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit today. And we are excited that you have come to join us. If you've got your Bibles, and I certainly hope that you do, please take them and turn with me to Mark's Gospel, the first chapter. Mark chapter 1. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark, a series that we started a few weeks ago. And today we find ourselves looking at really the second half of a, of a 24-hour period that we started looking at last week. Last week, beginning back in verse 21 of Mark chapter 1, we looked at the first half of a 24-hour period in which we, we, talked, we saw that Jesus went into the synagogue there in Capernaum and he began teaching and he teached he, he was teaching them as, as one that astounded them because they had never heard someone uh, who taught like he did. And, and so in the middle of the, the synagogue service, we also read about a man who confronted Jesus, who was uh, a man possessed by a demon. And Jesus uh, cast that demon out of that man. And there again, he amazed and astounded everyone who, who saw it took place because he had such power and authority over the spirit world. And so that really kind of tells us, takes us up to the, where we're going to find ourselves today because that synagogue service had been taken up the first half of Jesus' day, really. And then beginning in verse 29, we see what takes place after that. And that's where I want us to pick up this morning. So Mark chapter 1, verse 29, begin reading with me there because Mark tells us this. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose, I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity you have given us to gather as your people around your word this morning to be able to read it and to be able to contemplate on it and to be able to study it. And then, Lord, to be able to apply its truths to our lives. And I pray that that would be what we would do. We would be people who, by your Holy Spirit, would be changed into the image of your Son as a result of spending time in your word this morning. So I pray that you would help us to push out all the distractions of the outside world in the past week and maybe even the worries and fears of the upcoming week that we might be able to take just a few moments this morning to be able to concentrate on your holy word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Now, back when we began this series through the Gospel of Mark, I, I, I told you in the introduction to this series that I believe that there are three questions that kind of hang in the background for every passage that we are going to read and study. In fact, I believe really that it could be said that Mark wrote his gospel with these three questions sort of rolling through his mind. And so when we get to a passage like what we are this morning, I think those three questions will come up again. And I, those three questions are really this. Who is Jesus? What kind of Messiah is Jesus? And what difference does it make? Really, we could probably rephrase that last question this way and say, considering who Jesus is and taking into account the kind of Messiah that Jesus is, then how, how must I respond to him? Well, this passage that I just read for you, we're going to be examining those questions as we work our way through it this morning. And the, the first question that I want us to consider is that first question, who is Jesus? Based upon what we read, what does this passage tell us with regard to the character of Jesus? Well, we picked up with, with Jesus leaving the synagogue along with, with Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. And, and they were going back to Simon Peter and Andrew's house. And they were probably going back to do exactly what all of you guys are going to do when you leave here this morning. You're going to go looking for something to eat. It's going to be time for lunch. And so it was probably lunchtime for them when they left the synagogue. And so they were going back to Simon Peter's house to, to have lunch. But then when, we got, when he gets there, he finds out, Jesus does, that Simon Peter's mother-in-law is laying sick in the bed with a fever. Now, we don't know, if, we don't know if, if Simon Peter knew about that before they went back to their home or if it was something that they found when they got there. Here's what we do know. Luke talks about this incident. And when he writes about it, he says that Peter's mother-in-law, interestingly enough, had a mega Pyrotos. Now, megapyrotos means probably exactly what you think it means. Mega means big or great. Pyrotos is fire. She had a great fire in her. She was overwhelmed with a high fever. And so she was incapacitated. She was left in bed languishing there with this high fever. Now, Matthew talks about this same incident. Matthew says that when Jesus came in, he, he went and he touched the woman. Luke says that he stood over her and rebuked the fever. Mark says that he, he, lifted, he touched her hand and lifted her up. Now the composite picture then that we get from all three of these vantage points is that Jesus stood close to the bed of a very sick woman. He took her by the hand. He rebuked her fever and he gently raised her up right there in front of her wide-eyed friends and family. Now, you might not be too shocked to know that the Jews had rules for everything. They even had rules for how someone was supposed to interact with a sick person. But Jesus didn't really follow any of those rules here. He went in and began touching and getting right up next to the sick person. And in doing that, we really get a picture of the kind of person that Jesus is. In fact, as Kent Hughes has noted, his reaching down and taking this dear woman by the hand was simply a natural, instinctive action springing from Jesus' sympathetic love. It was an expression of his genuine desire to tenderly meet the woman's needs. Now, Hughes goes on to say this. He says that Jesus' touching tells us volumes about what he is like 
and about how much he loves us. Consider the love that exudes from someone who is willing to go in and be with this sick lady and to touch her and to heal her. Now, I want us to come back to Simon's mother-in-law in just a minute, but, but before we do, look with me at what happens next. Because remember, the Jews had rules, and this was the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, there was just a lot of things that you couldn't do. Anything pertaining or that could be construed as work, they couldn't do on the Sabbath day. But when the sun set, it, the Sabbath was considered to be over with. And that's a key thing, because Mark tells us in verse 32 that at evening, when the sun had set, listen to what they did. They brought to him all who were sick, those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city, he says, gathered at the door. Now, that's probably hyperbole, but nevertheless, it gives you a little bit of an idea of just the massive amounts of people that began to bring their sick people to the door of Simon Peter's house. And then Mark says, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. Now, I want you to just consider that scene for just a second. What we learned back in verse 28 that we looked at last week was that Jesus' fame and his popularity had spread throughout the region of Galilee. We also know that by this time in his ministry, his ability to heal had, had preceded him and folks knew about that everywhere. And so when they learned that Jesus was in town, they began to, 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 to come by and to bring those sick people that they had in their families, those are their friends to him. Jesus has already had a, he, he's already had a busy day. He's, he's already taught in the synagogue that morning. He's already delivered a, a man who was possessed by a demon of that demon. Now he's gone home and he's gone to Peter's house and he's, he's raised up his sick mother-in-law. Now at the end of what can only be described as a long and tiring day, here's this massive sea of people coming bringing their sick family and friends. Some would, have, some would have probably been dragged on mats. Some would have been carried in blankets. Some were probably propped up on the arms of others who were helping get them there. Some of the demon-possessed may have haven't even been dragged there of their own free will. But here's the thing. What does Jesus do? Well, he has compassion on them. He, he shows mercy to them. He extends grace to people who, let's be honest, they weren't coming to Jesus in order to repent of their sins and to make Him Lord of their lives and to, and to confess Him as the Messiah. No, they were coming to Him because they were hurting Him because they wanted healing and because He was the man who could provide it. They were wanting relief from their pain and from their discomfort and in some cases their torture that they had been going through because of physical illness or even demon possession. And Jesus was surely physically exhausted at the end of this day, but notice what He didn't do. He didn't run. He didn't hide. Instead, he sacrificed his own comfort in order to care for these sick and these diseased people. So when we read through this passage, if we ask the question, who is Jesus or, or what is the character of Jesus, then we come away with this idea and with this understanding that Jesus had a passion for people. In fact, that's the first thing that I want you to see on your outline this morning. The first point is this. Jesus' passion for people is demonstrated by His compassion, His care, His mercy, His grace, and His sacrifice. I mean, if we consider the scene that Mark paints for us here, and we think about the circumstances surrounding the healing that Jesus engages in, then we have to recognize that He had a deep and an abiding passion for people. People who had not earned His love and who did not deserve His grace. 
yet he extended it to them anyway. He was moved with compassion for them. He showed great care and great mercy by sacrificing his own comfort and his own rest so that they could be healed. So that's the kind of man that, that based upon this portrait that Mark paints that we see Jesus is. Now, moving on, we've looked at previous passages. We've known that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one that God sent into the world to bring the good news and to inaugurate his kingdom. So let's look at the second question that hangs behind this text, and that is what kind of Messiah is Jesus? And what we know is that he was the kind of Messiah who had true power and authority. He had power and authority over the physical world, and he had power and authority over the spiritual world as well. Look back with me at the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She's laying there in bed. Mark doesn't give us a lot of details to the illness that she had. But what we do know is that, that when Jesus interacts with her, his, he, he proves his power over physical disease. Consider that she'd been there with this high fever. But Jesus comes into the room. He touches her. He rebukes the fever. He lifts her up. And then Mark says this, immediately the fever left her. Notice that the fever didn't gradually recede. It left her right then and there. And then Mark adds this, and she served them. Now, much has been made of the fact that as soon as she was well, this woman got up and started serving. Most likely fixing lunch for all these hungry people who had just invaded her house. And while that may be worth noting, I think the reason that Mark tells us that she got up and started serving was to reiterate the miraculous nature of her healing. A couple of weeks ago, I had a sickness. I think some would call it the man flu. The man flu is really a cold for a woman, but for a man, it's something that really drags us down. I ran a, I ran a, 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 a low-grade fever. For me, it was low-grade. Well, for you, it was low-grade. For me, it was high. I got to 100. You can ask my wife. I don't operate very well with a 100-degree fever. I had that, that issue that a lot of you guys have had. Here's the thing. Once my fever left and I got, I got, it got back to normal, I still didn't feel 100%. It, it took me a few days to finally get enough energy to just get back into the groove. Many of you have had the same thing, and you've told me about it. You've told me how long it took you, even once, once the symptoms were all gone, for you to actually feel like yourself again. Well... That may be the way that normally a fever affects people, but not this lady. See, Jesus walks in, and he touches her, and immediately the fever's gone. And she didn't have to wait a couple of days to feel like getting up and doing anything. She got up immediately and was completely well. What changed? Nothing except that Jesus Christ, the one who has power over the physical world, who has power over disease, who has power over the physical bodies that we have, stepped in and touched her and completely healed her. He demonstrated his complete and total power and authority in the way that she was healed. And, and we see that in how she was able to serve. We continue to see that displayed in the healing for all of those people that were brought to him after sunset. 
Mark says that he healed many of who were sick with various diseases. Now that doesn't mean that he just healed a few here and there. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us that Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Matthew says that he healed all who were sick. When Mark says that he healed many, it just means that there were a lot of them. And they came in droves. In other words, in, in the Greek verb there means that they just kept coming. It's an imperfect. It just kept happening. They just kept bringing them. But notice that it, just, it wasn't just physical diseases that Jesus healed. He also cast out demons. People who had been possessed by evil spirits got healed as a result of interacting with Jesus. And just as we had seen it earlier back in the synagogue, he silenced them. He said, you're not to speak and tell everybody who I am. And we might want to know why he did that. Well, because Jesus does not need the demonic and devilish world to be his chief marketing directors. He doesn't need the, the evil spirits of the world to go out and tell everybody who he is. These evil spirits had no standing in his kingdom. They had no place before him. And so he silenced them and he cast them out of his presence. So what does that tell us? If we look at this, what does that tell us about what kind of Messiah Jesus is? Well, as John MacArthur has written, he says that Jesus' supernatural power and his cosmic authority is a display of his proof of his deity. I mean, after all, he writes, if he is to be the savior of the world, he has to be able to rescue souls from Satan and he has to be able to rescue souls from sin. If he is going to raise men and women with resurrection bodies into the glories of heaven, well then, he must have power over the effects of the curse on the body. Consequently, MacArthur states that Jesus must have power over the physical and the spiritual effects of sin's curse. And here's what we know. If we read on ahead and we go to the book of Revelation and we see what John writes there in Revelation 21 verse 4, we know that there is coming a day when there will be no more tears in our eyes. And the reason that that is the case is because there shall be no more death and there shall be no more sorrow and there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain for all of that stuff that you and I encounter on a regular basis here in this life will have passed away and then all things will have become new. Why? Because Jesus the Messiah steps into the world just as he did here in Mark's gospel and by the display of his power and his authority over physical bodies and over spiritual bodies, he proves that he is the Messiah who will one day take everything that is destroyed by sin's curse and he will make it right again. Friends, that is the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. And this passage points us to that. Now, look, we're not told a lot of other things, but this is what we are told. Notice the second point on your outline this morning. Jesus' proof of his power is demonstrated by his ability to heal physical diseases and cast out demons. That's the proof of his power that we see demonstrated here. We aren't told how long it went on. Based upon what Mark tells us and what Matthew tells us and what Luke tells us, we can probably assume that Jesus stood there healing people until the last person was gone. And then he likely went inside Simon Peter's house and with all the rest of them, they went to sleep. But then notice this, verse 35. In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Mark tells us that Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. 
perhaps as early as some scholars say is 3 a.m., after perhaps only just a few hours sleep, Jesus got up and he stole away to a secluded, to a deserted place, to an area where all of the people and all of the things that were clamoring for his attention were not around. And there he spent some time in prayer with his heavenly Father. And that may be confusing to some. I mean, you may be thinking in your mind, well, why did Jesus, who's, who's fully God, why did he need to go out and spend time in prayer with God? But remember this. Remember that though Jesus was God, he did not live his life as God apart from the Father. But rather, he lived his life with full dependence upon his Father. Jesus tells us this in John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. He says something similar in John chapter 14, verse 10. He says, The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Therefore, what we come to realize is that because of his complete dependence upon his heavenly Father, Jesus made it a priority to spend time in prayer with his heavenly Father. Now, let me just kind of put a parenthesis in the sermon for just a second and let me go to meddling. Understand this. This is a point of personal application. If, if prayer was an important thing to Jesus, how much more important ought it be to each one of us? As E. Stanley Jones has written, he says that prayer with the Father is the equivalent of time exposure to God. And what he talks about, he uses as an analogy, it's kind of lost on our world today in the age of digital photography, but he uses the whole idea of, of, a, of a photographic plate that's laid in and the, and the time exposure that it has to the light makes it where the, where the image comes out. The more that it's exposed, the more the image is. And listen, this is what prayer is. The more time that you and I spend in prayer with the Father, the more indelible His imprint will be upon our lives. And Jesus evidently understood that, and that's why it was a priority for him. And that's why we see that he got up early in the morning to go find time to spend time in prayer with God. And because of that priority, even though we recognize he had a huge, busy day the day before, and yet he still got up early to make time to spend time in prayer with God. But Mark tells us Jesus wasn't the only one who got up early that day. Simon Peter got up early too. Simon Peter goes and looking for Jesus inside the house. Now, I can just kind of see him tiptoeing around, looking, going to open the, the curtain back and look into the, the room where Jesus had spent the night before, only to be shocked to find that Jesus was not there. And being what we see of Peter in other places, I can imagine that pandemonium broke loose at that point. I can see him turning on all the lights, you know, just telling everybody, get up, get up, we got to find Jesus, where is he at? Luke tells us it wasn't just the disciples that went looking for, for Jesus, but that all the crowds had already gathered long before daylight. They want to know where Jesus is too. And so in mass, they go on this manhunt. Where is Jesus? We've got to find him. Mark tells us eventually they did find him. And when they did find him, they look at him and give him what amounts to a mild rebuke and say to him, everyone's looking for you. 
Now let me interpret that for you. I, I, I believe what, what we see there is, this, is, is, is maybe this, what are you doing out here in this deserted place? Why are you out here? All the people that need you are back there. Why did you separate yourself and get over here in the quiet when, when all the ministry needs are back there in Capernaum? Let's, let's leave this place and let's get back over there because that's where the real ministry is taking place. Now remember, Simon Peter and Andrew, they lived in Capernaum. James and John, their hometown was just right next door to the city of Capernaum. And all of them being successful fishermen were well connected throughout the region of Galilee. So consequently, when these when they tell Jesus that everybody's looking for them, I don't believe they're talking about people they didn't know. I feel very strongly that they would have known the names. They would have known the faces of the very ones who were sick and diseased that were bringing their, themselves or their family members to Jesus. This was their hometown. These people made up their, their friends and their family. Is it any wonder then, in light of that, that they try to twist Jesus' arm into going back to Capernaum to continue the ministry that he had begun on the previous day? I mean, in fact, I believe that there's a hint of desperation in their voices because they know what we've already learned this morning. They know that Jesus is, is a passionate man about people. They, they've seen him display his compassion and his mercy and his, his grace and his care. They've seen him sacrifice his own self for the good of others. Not only that, but they also knew that Jesus was the kind of Messiah who had proved his power over physical illness and over spiritual darkness. They had witnessed firsthand Jesus' power and authority. So knowing what they did about Jesus, they attempt to define for Jesus what his agenda and what his priority ought to be. In their minds, Jesus needed to get back to the people of Capernaum. He needed to get back to healing them. But Jesus looks at those who'd come out to meet him and he says, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. Can't you start to kind of hear the talk that's going on in their minds at this point wait a minute Jesus hold on you've come out here to this solitary place and now you want to move on to another town to preach about this coming kingdom it leads me to the next point that I want you to see the third point on your outline this morning is this Jesus' priority of purpose is demonstrated by his commitment to prayer and preaching the good news. Now, yes, Jesus demonstrates a passion for people through his compassion, care, mercy, grace, and sacrifice. And yes, Jesus demonstrates his proof of power through his ability to heal physical diseases and cast out demons. But what we come face to face with in the final verses of this section is that Jesus' priority of purpose was not physical healing and performing miracles. Rather, it was prayer and preaching the good news. Now, don't move too fast past that point. Because as I've studied on this 
passage for a number of weeks, chewing on it, trying to get my mind around what we learn here. I believe that if we contemplate truly what Mark tells us, we will have stumbled across something very important, something that I think will challenge each and every one of us. You see, what we're confronted with in this passage is that the chief end for which Jesus came was not as the folks in Capernaum had hoped, that he would come and heal everyone's diseases and perform miracles for everyone in need. Rather, he had come to preach the truth that his father had sent him to declare. And that's the message that we learned back in verse 15, where Jesus says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But just to see how challenging this is, what I want you to do is just consider for a second that you were one of those people in Capernaum. That it was your child that was sick and that you were bringing to Jesus. That it was your wife or your husband who was sick and needed to be healed. That it was your parent that you loved so dearly and you wanted to see them healed. And you had taken the time and you had taken the opportunity to get them up and to get them ready that you could take them out to Simon Peter's house because that's where you heard that he was. And you got there only to find out that he had gone away from the house out to a secluded place to pray. And that not only that, but he was not going to come back. In fact, he was leaving Capernaum and going to other towns that he might continue to preach the gospel. Let me ask you, how do you think you would have responded? I can only imagine how that conversation would have gone. Hey, listen, Jesus, I'm all for us talking about the kingdom of God. I'm willing to listen to what it means to repent and believe in the gospel. But right now, what I need is for you to heal my child and make her well. Right now, what I need is for you to take care of my wife or my husband. Right now, I can't provide for my family's needs because I'm sick and I need you to heal me so that I can go back to work and be able to take care of my family. Listen, Jesus, it's fine for us to talk about spiritual things, but let's not get our priorities and our agendas out of order. I mean, the pressing needs are the here and now. We've got to take care of those things first. Then we can address the spiritual needs that the gospel confronts in our lives. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, let's go to other towns that I may preach because that's the purpose that I've come forth. You see... What Jesus says in verse 38 and the fact that verse 39 tells us that that's where he went and that's what he did. We have to come to grips with the fact that Jesus' agenda was different from ours. His agenda trumped his disciples' agenda and the agenda of the folks back in Capernaum. And what I want to ask you this morning is, does that confront you? Does it bother you? Does it confront you that Jesus doesn't do what the crowds and what his disciples were trying to get him to do? I mean, after all, these people were hurting and sick. They wouldn't have been coming to him if they weren't. And yet, he moved on. Now, does that mean that he's not loving? Does it mean that he doesn't care, that he's not compassionate and merciful? We've already seen that he is. What well, does it mean that, that he's not good, that he in some way is self-serving and that he lacks a desire to sacrifice for other people? No, we've already seen that he's very sacrificial. So what can we take away from what we learn? What does our Lord's agenda, which obviously confronts our agenda, tell us? 
Well, I believe that it points us to the fact that Jesus has a work of healing to do in us that goes far beyond and much deeper than our physical bodies and the experiences that we have in this physical world. You see, Jesus clearly states that he came to preach the gospel. And then in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, he says, I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. He tells us later in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for this reason I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, Jesus' agenda reaches far past the here and the now. It reaches far past what can be seen and touched and felt in the present. And what that means is, is that you and I cannot make our health or the health of our family and friends and loved ones, or you cannot make your finances or your relationships or any other temporal thing as the barometer by being able to measure God's love for you. You see, the Bible tells us that God demonstrates his love toward us in this way, that he sent his one and only son into the world to die in the place of sinners so that they might be healed, not of their physical diseases, but of their spiritual diseases that would keep them separated from God forever. You see, Jesus shows his passion for people by sacrificially, compassionately, mercifully, and caringly, and graciously giving of himself. And in doing so, he proved his power over sin and Satan and death. And by rising victoriously from the grave, he proved his power to one day be able to raise us up with glorified bodies to rule and to reign with him forever. And the message of the gospel tells us that that is why he came, to extend mercy and grace to unworthy and undeserving sinners like you and me. That was his priority of purpose, was to fulfill his Father's will by proclaiming the good news of eternal salvation to those who would repent and believe in the gospel and then by giving himself to be the only acceptable sacrifice for sins. And that then leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. In this passage, what we see is that Jesus confronts our self-centered agendas by following the agenda given him by his Father, which is to preach the good news and give his life as a sacrifice for sinners. So as I close today, let me ask you that last question that I believe hangs over this text. It's implied. It's that, it's that question, so what difference does it make? In light of the fact of who Jesus is and the kind of Messiah Jesus is, what's my response to him going to be? Well, here's the question. Does his perfect love confront you? Are you confronted by what you see? Are you humbled by his love? Will you, as he invites you to do, will you repent and believe in the gospel? Here's my prayer for you this morning. My prayer is, is that you will not attempt to base our Lord's love for you on temporal things, but rather on the fact that he died a sacrificial death on your behalf to provide you with spiritual healing that will last for eternity. So brothers and sisters, that is the heart of the gospel. And this is the word of God for the people of God.
Let's pray together.